It is June 10th, 2020. Today, we'll start the podcast a little differently. The time calls for change. You might have noticed we have skipped a week of our podcast. We did that in respect to the current events. The times are unprecedented. The Black Lives Matter movement is happening with people on the streets fighting for racial freedom, liberation, and justice. On the background, we are still fighting COVID-19. Today's episode was recorded much prior to the protest, but the topics of our conversation couldn't be timelier. I had the opportunity to spend some virtual time with Dr. Anita Sirinvasa, an outstanding physician and human being. Through her lenses, I became aware of how discriminatory human medicine can be to women, people of color, and immigrants. How those moments affected her personal and professional life. We talked about being judged and downgraded for choosing to be a working mother and the fears and challenges first responders and insatiable workers face daily during COVID pandemic times. Dr. Srinivasa alludes to the unfortunate political battle this came to be. When lives are at risk, the change really starts at home. I'm Lyda Proensa, and this is The Honest by Vera Head. Everybody, today we are here for another episode of The Honest Podcast, and I have with me a treat for you, Dr. Anita Srinivasa. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Yes, you How are. How do you pronounce? Really? Woohoo! I'm not really good with like <laughs> people's no, last names. No, it was good. <laughs> so, um, she is board certified in internal medicine and she attended medical school at Bangalore University Faculty as a University Faculty of Medicine in India. She completed an internship in psychiatry. That's perfect. I was like, oh, that's awesome. At Virginia Tech, um, Carlington Medical Center and did a residency in internal medicine at the University of Illinois College in Urbana Champaign. Did I get that all right? Yeah. Oh, and you work with patients and you do, you integrate Eastern and holistic medicine into the Western care, right? I do, I do, or try to at least. That's awesome. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here on our podcast. Thank um, you for having me, Leila. I always start the podcast by asking how we met. And in this case, um, you are my doctor. Patient care. <laughs> Patient care, exactly. I needed a new doctor this last year. Um, the primary care physician we used to go, she left the hospital at UCLA and I was like, I need to find someone. And I will say this, I literally chose, of course, because all your accomplishments. Uh, but I, when I saw that you were an Im- immigrant, I was like, yes, someone that understands me. I will go with her. Totally. <laughs> I, I'm a the- huge advocate, I, I think. It's a I was like, di- I was like, it has to be a woman. And it, I was like, when I saw, I was like, oh, yes, someone that understands me. And, you know, your background coming from India. And we're going to, I'm going to ask you about that. But I come from Brazil. So it's a third world country, like, um, similar to India. And I was like, she's going to get me. She's going to understand me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It is very difficult to understand unless you're a woman. One hundred percent, I agree with that. No matter what, I mean, it's the same challenge I face in medicine too. It is. It is a uh, uh, so. Uh, um, 
I don't know about human medicine, but veterinary medicine. So you are a human doctor. Um, in veterinary medicine, it was for the longest like a male-dominated profession. It's just now that became a majority female, but not by much. How is it in human medicine? I think it's still... I say we've gone to almost 50-50. I still think it's a male-dominated society, unfortunately. Certain yeah. specialties of medicine, however, not all of them. But I think it's somewhat of a generalization that women just do peds and family practice. And and so when I finished my residency, or at least started, attempted to apply to residencies, I mean, we were mocked for trying to do internal medicine because it was something that women wouldn't do, couldn't do. Um, so four of my colleagues, so two of us did internal medicine, one did uh, orthopedic surgery, believe it or not, and one did physical medicine. I think we were almost like made a mockery out of at school because we just were going into male-dominated territory at the time. But what is the the uh, the rationale for internal medicine? Because, I mean, I can I don't agree, but I can see when they talk about orthopedic surgery because, and again, I completely don't agree, but it is a little bit more physical, at least in veterinary right. medicine. Um, and I'm imagining human medicine is too. But again, that does not mean that a woman can do an amazing job it's just i can see where people's minds go there but internal medicine what why is the rationale you know, i think i i don't actually know because i uh, the assumption is you know peds they just think women can handle pediatrics and mm -hmm. and family practice is sort of this general so there's no specialty with family practice it's a little bit of peds a little bit of internal medicine a little bit of geriatric medicine so they dwell very superficially into everything they don't get into the depth of actual mm -hmm. Um, um, diagnostics and things like it. So internal medicine becomes a little bit more advanced where we don't yeah. actually see kids. We only see adults 18 and over. And mm -hmm. for whatever reason, it was the assumption that women should do family practice. I literally oh, could not. Oh, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense because it's a more specialized. Well, right. internal medicine is very specialized. It and was. you guys go deep in a lot of subjects. Absolutely. So for some reason, it was just... Um, People assume that women cannot do internal medicine and shouldn't do for literally the longest time. Even in our community, if you think about it, we probably have a handful of female doctors that specialize in internal medicine. Literally, no, a I handful. know because when I went to choose my doctor, I kind of literally wanted a female because I mean this thing now that I to do my part in the world, I need to support females. So everything business like if I'm gonna buy something like is there a female business like totally. that has this or restaurants and like the same with doctors and when I went to choose there were like several males I'm like oh no and then they they were like the few females um I think I don't want to I don't know if in your location you were the only woman uh, might have that that had openings or because you guys just started a new uh location so is I remember it was not very common to find it's like mayo, mayo, mayo. And I was it's, like, oh, my God. It's still not common to find internal medicine. It's crazy. It is, it is. And to this day, I mean, literally my colleagues and me have Zoom conferences about this, about how um, discriminatory medicine can be to women. Literally. It is the uh -huh. same thing can be repeated by me or by, me, by my male colleagues. And the assumption is that were he emotional, hormonal, you know, whatever else. Do they call you, do patients call you sweetheart or honey? All the time. Remember we had this discussion? It really is annoying. I don't mind, I don't mind if my 80-year-old woman patient calls me sweetheart. Yes. Because they do. Yes. But 
these but like patronizing like I have guys doing that like sweetheart yes I'm like sweetheart I'm like I am not your sweetheart like I say bluntly I'm like I'm not your sweetheart sweetie I get called (gasps) let's see sweetie sweetheart uh a sweetie pie honey yes oh I just hate it so much so obscene or they'll say hey Anita I'm like no I earned the degree doctor to you yeah (laughs) would be wholly appropriate but I don't I'm not really hung up on it. Like, I'm not walking around my kid's school saying, call me by my name, doctor. No, yeah. only a male doctor does that. I don't ever do that. However, yeah. patients, especially the males. Oh, no, you have to. Have you have to. an innate tendency to downplay. Either they feel threatened. I, I think I think all my colleagues talk about it all the time and we decided. I think they're very threatened by a mm. woman with a degree or a title. I, I reckon that may be the issue. So they sort of try to downplay your credentials. And I think it makes yeah. them feel better. I really yeah. do. Yeah, I genuinely feel like that. That is probably why in an office with either males or, or male-dominated um, support staff or anything like it, I think the tendency is to sort of downplay your credentials because I, I do think they feel better about it. I don't understand why. I think they should be empowered. Yeah, but it's real. It is real. It is real. It, when we moved to California, um, and then, well, we moved here in 2015, and then we adopted the kids 2017. And so just before we adopted them, I was like, oh my God, we need to find a school. And I mean, we had zero experience with kids whatsoever. I'm like, I don't even know how to start to find a school. So we went to the local school, like, let's start here, local. And I don't look American. And we went, and on the email, I think, I don't know, I think my husband had emailed that school. And he said, well, can we come visit? We're adopting from Brazil, blah, blah, blah. Then when I, we went there, the, the what is the name of the person that is in charge of the school? Oh, my God, I forgot for a second. Oh, the headmistress? Yeah. So we went there and the guy looked at both of us, welcomed us, like, hi, hi, hi. He would only direct the conversation to Stephen. And then, even worse, he came, he turned at me, he started talking, like looking at Stephen. And he turned at me and said, do you speak English? Ugh. And I'm like, I looked at him. I was like, better than I you. Hold, I was like, I hold a PhD, so I guess I can articulate in English. And he looked at me, and like, I was super rude, but like, really, dude, oh, no. really, uncalled for. Ah, I was like, oh no. And I get that all the time. Do you? Were you born in India? Yeah. When but did you sp- move to the United States? We speak, um, but the medium of instruction in India is English. Yes. Yeah, no, no, I do know that. And, but and you know, we speak the proper Queen's English, right? It's yes, proper you do. <laughs> British English. So it's really funny when people think and they always say, oh, um, you know, you speak really good English. Yeah, you know, because it's <laughs> funny. I'm like, I should because I speak the Queen's English. And I went to medical school. So I think I'll be OK with that. I don't know. I don't understand. It's, and the, the reason I'm asking that is because obviously you have no accent. I have a very strong accent. So if I open my mouth, you know, I'm not from here. And I have clients refusing to see me. Are because you serious? I'm in, I am dead serious. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Stop and I had the it. one client got the nerves to email the hospital and say that I should not be allowed to be a doctor because she couldn't understand a word of what well, I was Well, find saying. a different doctor. Mm-hmm. How, I know, but there are people like that in the world. Like No, they are. We've actually had, we had a, somebody call into our office. It's my understanding, although it just really annoyed the heck out of my receptionist and asked for somebody that is white. 
She wanted a like blondly like this doctor. A very very uh, point blank asked if we have white doctors in the office. Seriously, joking. I'm not actually kidding you. This is this is the twenty. What? Where are we? Twenty twenty. Yeah, right. 20 yeah, surely. So you know. Pick and choose. When you're dying and you need CPR, you really want to pick and choose which doctor wants to do your C. Are you kidding me with this? This is the 24- I'm not kidding you, Leila. We had a patient call. And I think my office, um, my receptionist was dumbfounded, gobsmacked, shocked, confused, didn't even know how to respond to that question. I'm like, is that, what do you, yeah, because what it do you do? It is wholly like- inappropriate. Yes. She actually asked if there was a white female doctor. Oh, Jesus. I know. It's just, I, I took my, um, well, you know, oh, you don't know. You actually don't know my kids. But both of my kids are um, are black. And I took both to the orthodontist like two days ago. And the guy has seen me, okay? The orthodontist has seen me. I took him, like, is the, we there for a year and a half. And, but now with the COVID, like, we, they only have like some a number of people in the reception. They don't allow everybody. So right. point is, I was the only adult in the reception. The only adult. Actually, I was the only person. And so Bo went in and I was like, hey, to the receptions, hey, I want to talk to the orthodontist because, well, his teeth are shifting weird. I want to talk to him. I have some questions. Oh, okay. And then he comes. I'm sitting there. He comes, looks around, looks around, looks around, oh, goes stop. back inside. And I'm like, I, I, there I knew what was happening. And then I could hear them talking. He goes to the receptionist. He doesn't know why I'm listening to it. And he goes like, uh, Bo's mom is not in the reception. And she was like, yeah, she's right there. No, she's not. Just went there. And then she comes to the reception, gives me like a smile. And then she goes back. She's right there sitting down. So he goes back to the reception oh. and he's again looking. And I'm like, uh, yes, I am not black. And then he looks at me very embarrassed. I, he was like, Oh, what? I was like, yes, I'm Bo's mom and I am not black. And then he was like, oh, no, I wasn't saying that. It's, I think it's because of your tattoo. I was like, I don't know what's worse. <laughs> what you Wait, what? Because I have a tattoo in my arm. And he, was, he wanted to say like he didn't imagine a mom would have a tattoo. And so he made it even worse. And then the receptionist was like, no, no, no. What he means to say is like, you're too young to have a kid that age. Ah, uh, good save. I'm like, oh, my God. So, yeah, I mean... And I don't think he did that. I mean, I think he's a nice guy, but like, really, oh, people? It's, to this day? It, like, they're so tense. I I don't think that would ever occur to your husband. I, I really don't. Yeah. I encounter just, this literally all day long. You know, people say, well, you look lighter than you should be for Indian. Um, your hair's lighter. Uh, your skin's... Uh, um, I'm sorry, what has that got to do with my practice yeah. of medicine? Oh, uh, yeah. What has People- that got to do? I mean, let me tell you, there was a time in the hospital, I think it was about 10 months ago, if I'm not mistaken, went to see this patient who was like really ill, right? Uh-huh. Just had a PE, whatnot. So I'm uh-huh. sitting sitting in the corner in the hospital, typing up, you know, doing my entry. <laughs> and then... This doctor, this ER doctor, literally staring me down right from the hallway, right? So I looked at him and I said, do you need something? And he said, oh, didn't know if you needed help. I said, why would I need help? I'm good. Thanks for asking, though. And then the patient, the patient who was literally so ill, looked at me and said, are you going to kick his ass? 
I said, I'm awesome. sorry. I was hilarious. I said, uh, <laughs> no. She said, well, you should. Because, you know, he was just staring you down. I'm like, do you see what I mean? This is the 21st century. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not Barbie. Uh, I'm a doctor. Sorry. So you don't need to stare. It literally happened less than a year ago. Oh my God. And it's, it's, it's funny because like I went to the girls, I was wearing scrubs because um, we had surge, et cetera, and I didn't have time to change. I don't like to walk on scrubs when I come out of the hospital, especially now. But it was like so busy, whatever. I just finished surgery and I went into my car. I was wearing scrubs and I went to the grocery store. And then, you know, the cashier was making small talk. And he was like, oh, you, you work in a hospital? I was like, yeah, 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 I do work in a hospital. He's like, oh, um, are you, like, oh, what type of hospital? I was like, oh, a veterinary hospital. He was like, oh, um, oh, this must be so cool to work with veterinarians. My wife is also a veterinarian. Do we enjoy liking with, uh, working with veterinarians? Uh, and at that moment, I was like, he thinks I'm a nurse, which yes. there's nothing wrong with that. I, but it's the stereotypical because I'm yes. a Latina. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm already scoping. It's like, I am a DVM. And he was like, oh. Oh, are you? I thought you were a technician. I was like, why? No, no, I'm a veterinarian. And he was like, oh, oh, okay, that's so cool. I was like, yeah. Was Good like, save. There's nothing wrong about being a technician. No. I just think it's, uh, you know, it's the start. You so know, it's, there's a really nice commercial or hmm. I think it's like a public service announcement. I don't know if you've ever seen it on Lifetime where this woman, she's, she's Latin. And there's, she's a big media uh, executive of some sort. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a two minute public service announcement commercial sort of just uh-huh. to announce, you know, uh-huh. people of all colors can achieve all sorts of things. So anyway, so she goes back to her hotel room. So she wins this big award. That's the whole um, premise of this commercial, two minute commercial. So she's big, gets this award, walks back to her hotel room sees a, a white couple who basically tells her, can you bring me water to my room, please? Because they assumed she was a maid. Uh, I know. And she was just saying, I just want an award. But it was highlighting the the racial discrepancies. No matter, It is so unreal. It is un, unreal to me. I mean, it happens in every woman in medicine. You can ask my colleagues. I have five female colleagues in my office. And we're all proud women of color we're from every ethnicity chilean iran india i mean proud 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 and people are so threatened they are so threatened by women in power and women in knowledge i think knowledge is very powerful and it is very very daunting to very everybody it's very powerful and i'll tell that to my kids all the time yes so you were you were born and raised in India, uh, and then no, no, born and then raised here. Oh, okay, yeah. I was born and raised in in Brazil, and I came here. I was already a veterinarian when I came, so it does make like when I was doing my residency here, you need to do rotations, right? Doing residency, and one of the rotations I wanted to do in surgery, uh, in my like at my face, the professor said, "Well, no, I, I don't want to take you for a rotation because I'm not sure about your training in Brazil." Oh, good. Like I'm there as a resident. So meaning like if you got a residency position, it means that you were good because like, right, it's very like competitive. And I didn't do the rotation. Can you believe it? I actually I'm like, I was like, and that's why I was asking you because I didn't know if you experienced any of that. Uh, Oh, I mean, racial discrimination, 100%. I could think of so many instances where people say, oh, are you Indian? It's 
I don't know. I'm American, but thanks for yeah. asking. Yeah. I don't know. But why would it matter? Did my residency here? I, I oh, don't understand. The knowledge is the same. Yes. It is unfathomable. It, every no, day. It's and horrible. it gets tiresome. It just gets tiresome. It wears on you. And it's, it is harder with, I think, women of color. Yeah. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. It shouldn't be, but, and this is the year 2020, I but know. I kid you not, we have patients. I literally had patients calling into the office asking if there's a white female doctor in the office. Mm-hmm. It It is very hard. And I think like me, I'm not, I think people don't know what to, to be honest. I don't even know how to place myself in terms of ethnicity and race. Why because should you? I, yeah, it's just because like everybody, like, you know, all the, when you go somewhere, even to the doctor, you have like, what is your ethnicity? And I'm like, I never know what to say because I don't consider myself a color, but I also don't consider myself white. And, and it's just weird. It, I, and so I never you know say what to say. decline to answer. I, that's usually what I say, but I was like, I don't know where I am in this spectrum because. But it's sad, but you should, it should matter. It, yeah. It should, it cannot define you. Yeah. Right. So and I think that's a, what you, difference you does it make? Yes. Right. So when you, I mean, when you go to the grocery store, I mean, you, you want to buy a head of lettuce. Mm-hmm. I don't care who's checking me out and who yeah. the checker is. And does it matter? No, I'm going to pick what I need. If you and go to the pharmacy, you should go get your prescription. I don't literally care who yeah. is dispensing the prescription. It doesn't matter to me, right? Yeah. But this this whole idea that we have to put everybody in a box, and I only think it happens to females. I really do. I really do. Yeah, it is true. That. Yeah. My husband does not get asked any of that. Even when he go and he's like the stereotypical white person, he's American, and I'm American too. I was naturalized American, but anyway, he's like the the stereotypical, like his skin is fair, his, uh, his eyes are green, and his hair is very straight. And when he's with the kids, it's a very huge contrast and nobody asks him anything. When I go out with the kids, people ask me, where are the kids' mom? They think I'm her, their babysitter. How many times, how many times we meet their friends at Target and they are with their moms and the friends are looking like, where's your mom? And like, I'm right there. Hello. And and Chloe's like, oh, she's here. Oh, that's your mom. I'll tell you this story, which I think my daughter would probably beat Uh. me up for telling you this. But no, I think she she'll be okay. Um, to highlight sort of this racial discrimination, right? So mm-hmm. we never, my husband and I never raised them to to identify themselves as Indian or Amer- they were both born here in this country. Mm-hmm. Actually, my mm-hmm. younger one was even born in Thousand Oaks. My older one was born in Chicago, mm-hmm. right? So we never ever brought up race. I mean, we we were a very respectful culture Indian culture is very respectful we respect elders we don't talk down to teachers like it's a very respectful culture so we raised them that way to just respect everybody and and regardless you know so we don't discriminate against a maid a gardener or housemate mm-hmm. none of them so here's my daughter she was probably this is my older daughter I'm gonna say this was in kindergarten if I remember correctly yes kindergarten so one day she comes home in the evening. She asks, she, first she asked my husband, she said, uh, am I yellow or brown? And mm-hmm. then, so my husband said, well, you're brown. So what? No big deal. Mm-hmm. Then I see her ask the question. So I didn't know where that was coming from. Then she comes mm-hmm. right back to me. She says, um, am I really brown? And I said, why, why are you asking me this? I mm-hmm. said, you're, 
you're beautiful. It's like, it's brown. Look at me. I'm brown. We're brown. I said, it's brown. She said, I, I, then I thought, are you learning color in school? And I said, yeah, there was, yeah. You know, yeah. like if you're learning something about color. Yeah. And she said, no, Savannah said she wouldn't play with me because I'm brown. Say what? Okay. Oh my God. I don't even know so, what I would do. And I will call this girl. I mean, Savannah. I uh-huh. said, okay. Yeah. So when did this happen? Oh, uh, on Friday, she said she wouldn't play with me. So I was just wondering, you think this color will go away? It just, this is <gasps> Oh, five. it breaks my heart. This is oh my, my child who was five. Oh and my God. talk about a relatively calm person go ballistic yeah. and absolutely stir crazy that now she has introduced into her life something we never brought up in their life. We never yeah. raised them to be any different. Yeah. I mean, we are first generation. We raise them up to to value, education, respect, you know, uh-huh. everything else. So trying to figure out the best way, obviously, if I go out, since I'm a woman, right, people will think she's a crazy hormonal woman yelling and mm-hmm. screaming, right? So mm-hmm. I have to play my cards properly. So I decided, okay, I'll play this the best way how. So I walked up to school the next day. I met with the principal, the vice principal, incredibly supportive. My kids went to Cardin in mm-hmm. uh, Westlake. I met with the principal and I said, um, and by then I was in tears, mm-hmm. right? I was bawling, hysterically mm-hmm. crying in school, trying my mm-hmm. best not to, to, to compose myself to actually have a conversation with the mm-hmm. principal. And they were so polite and kind. They waited for me to calm down. Probably 30 minutes later, when I could just get a word out of my breath, I was mm-hmm. able to tell them, I said, let me tell you the conversation. It still brings me tears to my eyes today. Let me tell you the conversation I had with my daughter. She asked me if she was brown because one of the girls said she would not play with her. Uh-huh. That principle went four shades of red. And she said, that will not happen in the school, right? Mm-hmm. Then the principal brought in the kindergarten teacher. And so anyways, we had a conversation. And I said, you know, um, and that's a private school. And then I said, we, my husband and I raised our children to never interject religion and never interject politics and never interject color into their lives because we yeah. believe everybody should be treated with respect and yeah. to be treated with kindness. And I said, for me to sit down here, leave my office and literally have this uncontrollable sobbing should tell you how heartbroken I am about this, that it happened to my child, that now she understands she's a different color yes. when it never, ever was yeah. an issue in our life. Yeah. Right. So the school took very appropriate action and suspended the student, mm-hmm. right? The interesting part was I was w- waiting in the carpool lane that day. The mother of this girl comes banging on the door at 11.30 in the morning. I hope to apologize. Uh, you know, pulling the screen out. She said, oh my God, I am so sad. Um, you know, we never taught Savannah any of this. And I, I, didn't, I said to her, kids only learn two ways, okay, from their parents are from the babysitter. So if you're not mm-hmm. teaching her, maybe your babysitter is, but don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, if I ever catch you banging on my door, mm-hmm. I said, I will literally, I will yeah. I will get a restraining order. You don't get to yeah. do this. And she said, I'm sorry. Um, can we have Nisha come and play? Uh, yeah, not happening. No. And I told her, I said, you strip my child's innocence from her. Yeah. That she will never get yeah. back yeah. after the fifth grade. Like ever. We'll never yeah. get back. And my daughter to this day, I mean, she's she graduated out of Berkeley. Uh-huh. She's, she's got a great head on her shoulder, but she wow, will still look back Into to that horrific moment. episode. Oh. And I told her, I said, you know what? You're a shining beacon. I mean, you'll probably employ that girl someday or do something. Yeah. But yes, but it changed her life. It really did at age five. That breaks my heart. She's five years old. 
when this happened in, <sighs> in our community. This is in Westlake. And all these mothers are still patients of ours. I mean, it baffles my mind. I mean, how do you, how do you teach race and gender to your children? I don't. I really I don't. don't. We it's teach so them. hard, especially because in my case, we are not the same race. And I mean, I would never experience their race, right? I would never experience that. I try to the best of my knowledge. I read a lot about it. I have friends to kind of counsel me, like give me advice. But there's a whole like a whole lot of people that think that white people and they put me in that category should not adopt black kids because we don't know how to raise them. Oh, and it just sakes. breaks my heart. It's just like, and I don't, I don't know, but the other day I had to explain to Bo because he's now going to turn 13. And we saw these kids like being kind of shady and they were probably 15, 16 in front of the Bad Bath and Beyond. And they were like with skateboards and like yelling and doing stuff. And there was one black kid and like five white kids. And then I had to bring it up to him. I was like, you know, Bo, you can't do that. And he was like, like, because they were like going in front of cars mm, and yelling and like, it. you know, and he was like, what do you mean? I was like, you know, from all those kids, that black one, if the police stops here, is going to be the only one to get in trouble. And you cannot put yourself in that situation. And it was so hard for me to explain that to him. But I feel like if I don't, and he's that in that situation with that innocence, not knowing that the world is going to see him different. You know what I mean? Like, no, how do you I teach know. your girls to, I know. I to be strong me. and to, like... Even ugh. my old, my younger daughter even had something. This was senior of high school, I think. And she, she was doing a project with mm-hmm. one of the girls. And the mother made a comment, I think. It, they were just at a restaurant having dinner. And then she tells to my daughter, she says... Wow, Nikki, so I'm sure you'll marry rich and you'll get married to a doctor. You'll get a, um, you'll have an arranged marriage. Um, talk about typecasting. No. <laughs> and the arranged. And these are, these are true, true, and true stories that my daughters have endured literally in this community. Literally. And, oh, and I have goodness. no qualms speaking proudly about it because my children are very strong and, and they have so much love oh, around them that awesome. they'll come out of this ahead. But the fact that they have to endure BS like this, it only stems. Like, I feel like my children would never speak like that because we don't raise them like that. Yes. Yeah. So you, you have, you, you have, this is the mother literally asked my daughter this. Yeah, it's like, no, I'm like, are you going to need to marry a rich man? No, no, I'm going to be the rich man. Yeah, like, Don't worry what, about that. And my yeah. daughter said, you know, come find me in a few years. Let me tell you what I'm doing for a living. It's crazy. But you yes. shouldn't have to explain yourself and you shouldn't have to justify this. But but it this happened to my daughter in 2017, literally. I know, like Senior someone very, very, very close to my family, which I can't disclose who it is, but... We were having a conversation. We had moved and I was saying that I want to put uh, some wallpaper. And then this person came and said, it was my husband and I sitting. And she came and said, oh, Stephen, you better work very hard because wallpaper is very expensive. And your wife wants to put wallpaper. I turned at her and said, FYI, I make three times more than he does. And I put whatever I want in my house with my money. It's like, why do you just assume that he makes more money than I do? Because you're a woman. And that he... And then I was like, oh, but 
anyway, it's it's nerve wracking. But I became like a kind of a, a broken record because this comes so often, and sometimes I can't. Do I need to? I need to stop talking about it. But like, if we stop talking about those things, then it's never gonna change, no. and it becomes like a a cycle. But um, how did you decide to become a doctor? Do you have like a because uh-huh. I don't have that aha moment where I decided to be a vet. Yeah, it you just know, my aha again. moment was really when my uncle and aunt lost her child. That's, oh. I remember that. My uncle and aunt were trying to have a baby for the longest time. Uh-huh. And they end up um, uh, losing their baby probably a week after birth. But I, then I oh. saw the doctors and uh, the techs and trying everything in their power to save that little baby. It was, a, my, it was just one of those aha moments. It's like, that is so cool. You know, How old are you? To help, um, goodness, I must have been 11, 12 at the time. Wow. But it was like so cool to help. Even even if they failed, uh-huh. they helped. Mm-hmm. And they helped. And then my aunt and uncle did end up, um, actually, she ended up getting pregnant and having a baby. But I saw mm-hmm. them through this whole process um, mm-hmm. and watched them and just watched the, the, the compassion the doctors and nurses had. I mean, it was so freaking awesome. So that I got to yeah. do something all the way in there. And I thought, if I'm going to do it, I'll just go do it all the way. I mean, so from there you decided. Yes. And, and I had how was aptitude, you know, if I have to pick uh-huh. between math and science, I would pick science any given day over math. Uh huh. Yes, me too. I could do math, but yeah, not my thing. Not <laughs> me all too. my thing. So, yeah, I know enough math, uh, mathematics enough to math. calculate doses, but that's it. Yeah, me too. That's so it. <laughs> I d- that, that got me going. And I just thought, you know what? That, that, that was my aha moment. And I just, Kept at it, and I just that was a one track goal I had, and got into medical. And school. were your parents supportive? Oh, my mother. My my dad died when I was two. He died of pancreatic oh. cancer. He was very young, but my mom incredibly one hundred. So your mom raised. Do you have siblings? Yeah, one sister. And she and she raised you guys alone. Um, yeah, and our our mom single handedly, and that that that's that's my strength to look at how strong my mother is. She's, it is tough. Oh, it is very no kidding. Hard. Oh, speaking of, back then my mother was discriminated because she was a widow. I mean, this is how skewed oh. up our world is. I mean, she's she's a she's a bad. She's, she's a warrior. She is a fierce, fierce oh, warrior. I mean, it. I tell you, she's she's really my role model. I tell you, <sighs> I don't tell her enough, and I always say I have to tell her. But she is such an incredible woman of strength and resilience. With two little with girls having and, to raise them yeah, by herself, and, she did. and and also lose a husband and in in a partner, and it's not. And she never remarried. She just stuck with raising uh, my daughter, uh, my sister, and myself. And my sister went to Northwestern. I went to the University of Illinois, and um, they're not by any means cheap schools. I mean, she actually paid for my sisters and my education. Wow! Yeah, this is really badass. I mean, she, this she is, is really badass. Bad. Wait, when that happened, were you guys already here or did yes, you yes. move? Okay. Okay. So, it, which is also, again, another level of difficulty, like, because she's an immigrant. And Absolutely. Having to conquer in the United States, although it is a land of opportunity, is also that there is a lot of discrimination that it's not, it's concealed. Back so, then. like, that is, wow. Back then. And she, she has a master's in physics. She's very smart. Wow, that's yep. awesome! Mm-hmm. I love your mom already. Yeah, <laughs> what's her name? She's a she's a um, she's a ma- she's got her master's in in uh, physics, but she never pursued 
too much beyond that because she just, I mean, we have a lo- lovely family. I mean, she, we mm-hmm. have uncles and aunts and, uh-huh. and, um, we were raised in a very loving family, great family support. So I think that's a testament to, you know, I mean, ultimately that strength is what kept her going because yes. her parents, I mean, and my grandfather and grandmother were very supportive as well. So really our strength comes from watching her. So, so when you said that you wanted to be a doctor, she was like, Oh, so 100%. Happy. I mean, that was, I think she, at one point, I think I remember wanted to go to medical school, but you know, just yeah. didn't materialize around, but she supported my sister is not in medical school. She went into the um, the math world, and mm-hmm. but she supported both of us. And I I get a lot of strength from I, I understanding how she managed to stay so strong in a world that was so cruel around her. You know, she was an immigrant as a like a immigrating, raising parent. kids by herself, and paying yeah. for the education all the way through med school. Like this is just incredible. Yes, and you know, I get my strength from from watching her. So every time I deal with Every time I deal with idiots, and I'm uh-huh. telling you, when I went to, um, it doesn't matter whether you have an education, what gets me is even when my kids were, you know, because we're so typecast in this culture about women having to stay at home and, you know, I don't know, mm-hmm, tend to your mm-hmm, kids. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think you cannot have them both ways. I mean, you can be a great parent and you can also pursue your education. I think you could do them both. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. see why people feel like yeah. if you're a good doctor, doesn't mean uh, you can, you're an average parent. And I think we did yeah. a great job raising our kids to the best of our abilities. So obviously, well, I think mistakes. because we are career women, yes. we are great parents because I already learned like if I'm not happy, I'm not a good mom. And I like what I do. I do think I need to slow down. And that's nothing to do with my kids. It's just, I, I believe you might be an alcoholic. You're very driven. You're very passionate about what you do. And so sometimes we, we go a little too far. Um, but I think that makes us just a great role models. And that's what they will take. You know, my mom always worked. I don't have any problem like, oh, my mom was not there when I was like baking me a cake. I have none of that. Um, and, and, and as a matter of fact, I chose one of the reasons I chose to adopt is because I did not want to stop my career and I wanted it to be 50, 50. As far as I know, I'm fertile. I never tried, but I was like, at a point I was like, wait, I'm going to stop now and be, get pregnant. And it's going to be a year of my career that it's going to be kind of a wash. And do I really want to do that while there are many kids out there that need a home? And, and, and I was like, also, it's the only way it's going to be truly 50-50 with my partner because the kids are not going to depend on me to survive. Like, I'm not going to have to nurse or anything. So it's the only way it's 50-50. Right. And and that's why I decided. And it took a little bit for my husband to kind of get the idea. And all. He was never against adoption, but he also wanted to have a biological kid. But it took him a little bit. And then when he started learning about pregnancy, because guys don't think about that. And, and he started learning because we start learning about adoption. And so you have to go in these meetings and you need to understand about pregnancy because, you know, the biological mom can have a miscarriage and whatnot. Sure. And so he was exposed to all of that and they bring the numbers, right? Because it's, it's a transaction at the end of the day. It's not a, I should think about the words. It's, a, it's not a financial transaction. I don't want people to think that you buy a baby. That's not it. But you need to know the numbers. You need to know what happens. It's a contract. And so when he started being exposed to the numbers and it's just saying, oh, so there's a 25% chance there's a miscarriage, there's a disease and this and that and diabetes. And he was like, oh, all of that can happen in a pregnancy? 
I was like, yeah, that's why I don't want to get pregnant. And then at that moment, he was like, a week later, he came back and said, you know what? I was thinking about it. I don't want to put you through that. If there are kids out there that need houses, what I need, what I want is leave a legacy, not my DNA. Right. And that's when it shifted. But he could only be empathetic once he learned what it was. Right. And I think so many women go through pregnancy without even knowing what's happening or what they are signing up for. You know, Absolutely. just because that's what it is and everybody does it. And like, let me do it too. Women, I mean, I, I was pregnant when I was doing my residency, if I remember. My How did my you do that? Year, my older daughter. You know, I actually don't know. Honestly. Wow. I, I don't know how my husband and I did it. And we were by ourselves. Um, but on a resident budget. On a resident. But we actually did. We, we did just fine. We did. I now I think back and I just feel so. Is a you guys is a four year or three year residency for four four years? So, yes. in the second year, you got pregnant or you yes. had her? Second you, year, I know my older daughter, but we were young parents and it was really interesting because, um, I uh, the program was very accommodating, I think, towards the end. I mean, I, I worked, I literally worked till a week before mm-hmm. I had her, and you know, and then my husband used to bring her. I used to breastfeed her and he used to take her back home. And, you know, we sort of, you know, it requires that support from, from a partner. I can't, otherwise it's impossible. Yeah. What does your husband do? Intel. Intel. Okay. So he could work from home at that time? Oh, no. At that time he was still doing his master's because remember he was young too. Yeah. He was doing his master's. So it was an interesting time, you know, no, no regrets. I mean. Our girls, yes, we have a, yes, of we have course. Younger daughters, and you know, we, I have a. I feel like I can bond with them at a level that is, you know, that I'm. I'm not that much older than. The, I mean, I am, but we're probably younger parents when we go to school compared to yeah. most of the other parents that that we see that are late parents. But even in, even in school, I remember when my daughters were in elementary school. Dear God, I got picked on for actually working. And it was hilarious. It happens to me today yep. on the school. You know, I'll tell you, I I got picked on for not being here, being so then you assigned to be a room parent. I'm like, I can't I do know. that. That's a full-time job. I don't get I to know. do a room parent. This is not my thing. Oh my god, That's, I go through that right I, now. And you know, I find that throughout my my daughter's elementary school, high school, um, and they were very active children. I mean, they part took part in in swim and tennis and speech. So a lot of it was just parent participation. And we did. I did 100%. And what uh-huh. I found interesting about that is the parents that really worked and were juggling jobs were the ones that actually volunteered more at school. Yeah. Wow. Compared to the parents that, you know, it's like, so running to for a tennis tournament, mm-hmm. uh, granted, there were lovely parents around us that supported us yeah. that always picked up and dropped off the kids and we yeah. returned the favor. But, you know, running in the middle of, you know, lunch break all the way to a tennis tournament to drop off foods and drinks because it was my turn to serve it. Yeah. Right. But I find that interestingly, the parents that rendered more support by the parents that actually worked. Oh, and I can so relate to that. So it is, my kids go to a Waldorf school, so you, you need to be very involved. Everything is very, like, artistic and whatnot. Right. And you need to volunteer. And the parents are lovely, don't get me wrong. I just cannot relate to them. I cannot bond with them. Our I lives are relate. so different. And especially now, and like, oh, oh my God, all the 
things that I, I don't even know how to explain. Like we get picked on because they, they are taking containers. They are not a hundred percent recyclable to school and, and they are not. And I, I understand about saving oh, the environment, but I, I can either save the, I, sometimes, you know, I can either save the environment or feed my kids. So if that means having some snacks that are in plastic packages and have zip, Ziploc bags at home, I, I will. And, and they all cook organic, gluten-free, sugar free free and all the freeze that you can think and and our kids go with like a Belvita or something that is bought at Costco and they like can you believe moms bring cookies to schools like uh, I can because I do send that of course I try to buy organic I, of, I'm not sending saying that I send Oreos and Doritos that's not it but like I work people and my work is intense and like I can I barely have time to provide a good decent meal for them because you know I'm there saving your pets while you're making organic cookies at home (laughs) no people have the idea that um you know you're a good parent if you make gluten-free vegan all of these options right yeah but then let me tell you what happens with these kids first of all medically speaking there's no reason to have a gluten-free meal unless you truly, truly have celiac disease. Exactly, yeah. Right? If you're intolerant to gluten, that's that's okay. My older daughter does. So I can uh-huh. speak to that illness, celiac disease. But if you're gluten intolerant, it doesn't mean you have to limit gluten. That's a personal preference. And I tell this mm-hmm. to every patient, that's your choice mm-hmm. to avoid gluten. It's not mandatory. Yes. Yeah. Do you have to eat a healthy meal? Yes. But when you... and install so many restrictions in these kids at a very mm-hmm. young age, they mm-hmm. will have an eating disorder when they're 18. I assure you. Oh it God, happened to my daughter. Right. One of the one of the kids at her school, fourth grade, I think, the mom would not even let the child eat um, a birthday cake that was brought to school, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we don't feed our kids soda. We don't feed our kids yeah. junk. We don't keep it in the house. But then again, if they Same go to here, a party, yeah. they can have a piece of birthday cake. It's yeah. okay. Then my kids don't end up having a binge eating disorder because they're eating in a closet. And this mom dropped her son off and specifically told me, please don't feed any birthday cake, even though it was a really nice, well-made birthday cake. Uh No problem. I'll respect your wishes. So we finish up the party and I turn around or it's time to serve cake. This kid grabbed (laughs) an entire sliver, more power to him, stuffed it up his mouth, had his face covered, and I was traumatized. I'm like... Oh, <gasps> shucks. What do I do now? I mean, I have to tell the mom. I'm debating. Uh, I probably will not tell her he had a piece of cake. <laughs> and then I felt horribly guilty about it. And I said, I think I have to say something to this mother yeah. and she'll probably beat me yeah. up for doing this. Yeah. It was completely innocent. I wasn't paying attention to that kid. Yeah. It was just in the back. Yeah. Fortunately, the dad came to pick up the kid. And, and I explained to the dad. I said, I'm so sorry. I turned back for one minute. Uh huh. He had up a whole piece of cake. You know what he told me? He said, "I'm so glad he did it. I'll wipe the face off, and we'll never know." Oh, that's oh, awesome! That's okay. A, I love Thank it. You. But this is what will happen. They'll <laughs> with an eating disorder because you restrict them from eating a cake. Oh my god! The they, same thing happened. Bo has a really good friend that is vegan, and then um, they were having a gathering at school, and I was there, and I was kind of watching him, but not really because the parents were not there yet. And he, when I saw he was putting sausage in his plate, I was like, hey, this is not vegan. Hey, sweetie, his name, I won't say blah, blah, blah. This is not vegan. He was like, I know. I was like, okay, but you were vegan. He was like, no, no, I eat meat. I was like, 
I don't think you do. And I was like, what do I do? That same thing. I was like, uh, can you wait for your mom to get here so you can eat your meat? No, she won't let me. I was like, so can you please not eat in front of me? Like, I, I can't. <laughs> and these kids, when they're 20, 21, 19, I see them in my office, right? And they really <sighs> literally have an eating disorder. They have an eating disorder because now they're afraid to eat. They don't know what they can eat. They cannot make a decision. You know, it's just food. And yeah. I'm a firm believer of eating a completely balanced meal. I don't. Yeah, that's all we try to do here and too. And I don't restrict them from eating anything. You can have a yeah. bonbon. You can have a chip. You can have just control your portions yeah and that's why we say too like they go oh, can I have a sweet uh, and I was like have you had a sweet today and I try to explain to them what that would do to right. them and blah 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 and so make your choices you tell me can you eat sweet and they go like nah I already ate a bonbon today like whatever so they are making their so it's, it's fascinating it's to and I, raise I, I, awareness yeah. that's yes. all it is and I go and like I don't say just no I say do you know why I'm saying no this is why because right. I don't want him to like when they don't have me like they're adults they start eating everything just because nobody's there regulating them and it's but, and you know I find that if you ate a piece of pizza I mean it's like you know you can sensibly eat a piece of pizza you don't have to eat a whole yeah pizza yeah. but you're not likely to to binge eat and I think yeah. I find that a lot of my adult patients literally develop a binge eating disorder because yeah. they have restricted themselves so much and they're they're not eating a donut they're not eating a cookie they're not eating sugar i'm like no you don't have to eat that every day but you can mm -hmm. reward yourself and say okay it's friday night i can have a bowl of ice cream yeah go for it yeah but don't yeah. do it every day or don't do it every single night yeah but then i think it's a healthier way of approaching it and you're mm -hmm. less likely to have this whole eating disorder that i can see all the parents yeah. i mean i can write books from my kids going to elementary school sometimes i used to crack up and then we had these moms that literally looked looked down and said ah oh, how do your kids study if you work and i said they do just fine on their own thank you yeah uh huh they yeah. are pretty intelligent girls they are <laughs> a okay on their own you don't have to sit with them and they don't fall behind. You know, you could see the smirk in their head going yeah, off. And I said, I want that. <laughs> no, I said, no, they're A-OK. -okay. And you know, the irony of all this, uh, at our school, uh -huh. at the end of the year, they give out this um, student of the year award, I think, for one student that has got the highest grades. And, mm -hmm. you know, it turned out to be my older daughter. Oh, so congratulations. For all those people that were kind of mocking my husband and me for actually uh -huh. being working parents. Uh -huh. The look on their faces just dried down four notches. Oh, when, wow. When she literally won, yeah, student of the year. I said, the next time you want to tell me, look at her name on the board. That's all uh -huh. I can say. Yeah. Don't question me. It's, That's awesome. I, I was telling my daughters, I said, you know, I did something so, I shouldn't say this, but I think I'll, I won't say names, but I'll say, Talk about doing petty things. I did I mm -hmm. did a really petty thing the other day. It was hilarious. Mm. So these mothers that almost bullied me in high school. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in my daughter's elementary school. They mm -hmm. were bullies because I worked. These mothers kind of uh, taunted me, looked down upon me because I, uh, you know, it's, I'm a doctor. I'm sorry. I'm very proud of what I do. It's like, don't look down upon me. Hello. Uh, since when was being a physician looked down upon? You it's, couldn't choose a more noble profession. It's like, are you? Uh, <laughs> just because I can't meet you at Starbucks at 9 a.m. for your chit-chat, you gossip about the food and the weather and a doorknob. Yeah. Uh -huh. And the conversation is so shallow. I walked, I went to one of those meetings. I can't do it. All they did, I can't they do talked it. about everybody else. Yes. 
And then they talked about a doorknob, about the color of a doorknob and about the hair and which stylist. So I just sat there for two minutes and I said, you know, none of my patients died today. It's a really good day in my practice. And they just all stopped short. And I said, see, this is how I measure my day. Not yes. by not yes. by the color of somebody's hair or a doorknob or a food that didn't go right or a meal that didn't go right or my nail that broke. No, I view my day as I have, I didn't have to declare anybody dead today. I didn't have to sign a death certificate. It's a glorious day. And I think they kind of got the picture from that, yes. that it's there's more to life than worrying about doorknob colors and picking on which designer outfit you get to wear. But these mothers literally berated me for being a doctor. The whole time my kids went to elementary school. But let me tell you, karma, right? Uh. It's a beautiful thing. So one of these mothers talk about doing something silly and petty. I had to do it just for kicks. So this mom, she works now at Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. Won't say names. So I went into Nordstrom. She works at the shoe department. And so I just thought, mm, I'm going to be this petty person, just fun. And I walked up to her and I said, can you help me try on some shoes, please? And she knew exactly who I was. Uh-huh. She knew exactly uh-huh. who I was. And I said, do you remember me? And she said, yeah, the mom from Carden, remember me? It's yeah. me. And then, so she kind of tried to walk away. And then the manager says, oh, do you need help? I said, yeah, I want her to help me with the shoes. And I actually made her help me try on like yeah, There you go. Pairs you do shoes. it. That's awesome. And then I walked away and I said, yeah, I'm not buying any of them. And I had to leave. It was, okay, sorry. That was my... That was <laughs> oh, my, are you kidding me? We deserved it. <laughs> that was my petty human in me that had to do that just for kids because <gasps> hey, that yeah, mother human. had bullied and berated me literally for being a doctor. Who I does know. that? I know. It's it's ink. Oh, that last week, the podcast was late and um, they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I was like, I said the same thing. I said, listen, this is nothing. I didn't have to do an euthanasia. Nobody died. This is nothing. This is just a podcast. Who cares if it goes today or tomorrow? Like, nobody cares. So, like, yeah, the, the perspective for me is so different. And, yeah, I just, like, I don't, I don't care. But do you find that you have to work harder than your male colleagues? I know I do. Yeah. I know I do. It's, and I also know that um, a lot of my, I have really good male colleagues. They're very respectful and I, and actually do it their jobs as parents, but uh, the majority don't like their wives are at home. So they actually don't understand. Like I had to put my foot down and say, you know, my contract says I need to work this many hours, but you want me here more than that. And that's not happening because. I can control the time I arrive at the hospital. I can control the time I leave, right? It, it, it's probably the same for you. Because if you're in an emergency or something, I can't just say, oh, it's six o'clock, bye-bye. Like, <laughs> right. you stay there with your problems. I'm going to go home. So I need to make sure I see my kids. And that's in the morning, getting them ready to school. And I said, you know, I'm not going to arrive at this time at the hospital. I'm still fulfilling my contract, working the 10 hours. But it's, I'm not going to compromise seeing them, you know, and they don't get it. They don't get it. And he got to a point that said, don't make me choose because it's a very easy choice for me. I was not compromising patient care. I was still doing the same work as just like arriving one hour after and staying one hour, one hour later. But it was just like, it's just, they don't get it. They it don't. You know, even in our hospital, I mean, I, I remember coming into almost blows with, with the management about that. You know, you can have a, a, a male colleague, right? that 
one answer is page or one answer is mm-hmm. text and and um you know and then they'll laugh and say yeah he's out playing golf he's out mm-hmm. running i said well well extend the same courtesy to me if i don't answer my page but no that doesn't happen i have a female cardiologist who is actually in probably worse shape than I am being uh, in the minority of the minority because mm-hmm. she's a cardiologist and she's an interventional cardiologist and mm-hmm. she's badass. Mm-hmm. And she will not even object to me saying this about her, but <laughs> she goes through probably 10 times more of harassment than I go <sighs> through in the hospital. All I genuinely feel like because they're threatened by her. Yeah. And they threaten, oh, they- and they, they make comments about her appearance. They make comments about her body weight. Um, she, um, she was, you know, she was well developed. Um, I don't like to use yeah. names for to label, yeah, for, me for, too. To put labels on it, and then she she you know worked with you know losing, exercising and diet, doing everything, and the comments that she got from her male colleagues were, oh, did you have gastric bypass surgery to lose weight? Why? Because she can't lose weight on her own. Yeah, I mean, what I'm saying is, you know. She's so talented and so brilliant and intelligent, right? So worry about that. Don't worry about what she's wearing to mm-hmm. work today. Mm-hmm. And but she gets it ten times worse than me. I but- decided not to dye my hair anymore, and I have a lot. I'm like thirty nine, so I have a lot of gray. And I decided I'm not going to die anymore. And then one male colleague, I can't believe he said that. We were at work, and he looked at me. He's like, "Oh, it's time to retouch your roots." I was like, "No oh. way." Oh. <laughs> Shouldn't be surprised. I started laughing because, like, this is so beyond ridiculous. Yeah. He's like, just thinking with his How peripheral. does the call of my hair impact your life? Like, it apparently like, does because oh he has nothing God. better to occupy the <laughs> tiny little brain, you know, that is there that <gasps> focuses on somebody else's. And this is how, I mean, I am so passionate about just not labeling people because I have daughters. Mm-hmm. I don't want them growing up to think that you have to yeah. be a certain height, a certain yeah. weight, a certain body image. And no, like health, I'm all, you have to stay healthy, but yeah. I don't care. It's like, the same don't, here. Don't inject labels yeah. and, and yes. dress sizes. And and we create, literally are creating a mentally destructive society by that. Yes. 100%. Yes. Because all of our role models that these children I have. I had body dysmorphia. For oh. my oh, entire teenage years. I can woefully attest to that. I'm probably still... And sp- today, it took me this many years to like love myself. And today, I can look back and say, oh my God, I was so beautiful. And I thought I was so horrible. Like, it, it was all in my mind. It was... And, and how many... Anyway, this is like a whole podcast. But yes, you're right. It's just crazy. But it is what this um, society's perceptions are uh, that no matter how strong a person you are, and no matter how intelligent a person you are, you're still, like I was just telling this to somebody, I said, I'm still narrowed down to being a Barbie at the end mm-hmm. of the day, no matter how incredibly intelligent. And I happen to think I'm smart. And just like every other female doctor in this community, uh, you know, we kind of endure 15 years of med school and residency and program mm-hmm. directors. And, you know, people still comment on, oh, you're so little. Are you sure you don't have a problem? Um uh, are you sure you don't have an eating disorder? Why? I can't stay healthy and stay fit. I mean, I am I can l- run laps around you, but thanks yeah. for asking. But yeah. you get whittled down, and it's so belittling when you get whittled yeah. down to being nothing more than um, 
you know, a, a, a body image or a, mm -hmm. you know, a toy or something yeah. that is so insignificant. We need to worry about everything. We need to worry about the way our hair is, the way our clothes are, the way. And it's not, I'm not even saying that in a, uh, like war in a sense that because you want to be pretty. No, you need to care about your image in a way that male colleagues don't. Like you oh, no. cannot Absolutely. give the wrong impression. You cannot, you know, I can't wear this because they're going to think I'm a slut. I can't wear that because they're going to think I'm not, well, like, good for work. Yes. I can't. This, this pants are too tight. This pants, uh, like, and I'm not talking about tie in a sense, like, you know, uh, I don't even know what sense. But, like, I need to think about all of that when I go buy pants to work. And I want to wear a skirt. Oh, but, like, if I wear a skirt because I have a butt. And I love my butt. It's beautiful. But then it's voluptuous. Like, and they're going to look me the wrong way. Even though I'm not showing skin. And I'm not, you know, trying. It, like, doesn't, it just, doesn't matter, right? You get objectified just, no matter oh. what your profession is. Oh, believe me. I, I, I know. You get, you, that's what I meant. You it's get so whittled, many things that we need to think into, about into um, an item you get literally get whittled down to a body image or an item or hey, yeah. hey sweetie I mean speaking of remember I had this discussion with you I, I I've been doing video visits right zoom visits uh -huh. video visits with patients yeah and I expect a that if I'm doing a video visit somebody with you I'm not going to be half naked out of respect for you uh -huh. uh, I'm going to put on something presentable so I'm not you know to I think it matters out of yep. respect to the other person yep. to know that yes uh, I'm taking that person seriously and this time is valuable to them as well as to me. And I'm not going to sit around and pretend like, yeah, do your thing. I don't care about me. But when we have these visits, I cannot tell you how many and specifically the male gender. I've had patients half naked talking to me like this with the phone. Hey, doc, how's it going? This is not a party. Don't, don't, don't <sighs> view this as, this is, I mean, they're sitting, okay, do what you may at your time. I'm. I don't. Hey, what do you say? I oh don't object to doing whatever. You can swim, jog, hike. It's your time, quarantine time. Do what you may. But when you get on that video visit and I'm actually spending my time talking to you about your health concern, don't treat it like it's it's a it's a, it's a date or it's it's something that you play with. I mean, I've had half naked men. Oh my god! I it don't is even, despicable. Oh. It, it is despicable. It That's dis the word. And and yeah. then they talk to me like this, right? Hey, uh -huh. dog. What? What? No. Yeah. Put yeah. some clothes on. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, what? No. I. You know, I said, how about you move the camera to your face? I don't need to see your body. And I've had to very subtly tell them, can you move the camera so I could see you? I'm not seeing you. Oh, hold on. One second. I'll be right. No. <laughs> this is my 15 minutes with you. Like, you have to be ready and prepared and... <laughs> You know, no. I mean, take it seriously. I mean, like, I, I don't understand. I asked my male colleague in my office, I said, do you ever encounter half-naked women? Because oh, that yeah. never happens. Yeah, talking about, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. It never happens. Yeah. And in my patients, I mean, I've seen some very ill patients during mm -hmm. during this pandemic, right? Who are mm -hmm. at home or sick. No matter how sick my patients are, they have decent clothes on them. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the females, not the mm -hmm. men. I've literally, I can't tell you how often I've had these. And it is almost disconcerting at all to me it is disrespectful because that is my time so basically i view it as that and i don't person. think they will be half naked if you were a male doctor i view that as disrespectful to me yeah yeah it, and that's it is. my time and because i view that is. as disrespectful to me but yeah it's happened even in a video visit 
And talking about that, we were saying teleconf- uh, telemedicine and all because we are during the pandemic, during this podcast, and we, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit. How are you feeling as a doctor having to go to the hospital work and being exposed? Are you scared? I, I'm saying because I am dead scared. You know that I told you that. Um, full disclosure, I even called you and had a telemedicine because I said I need medication because I'm not coping with this. I, I'm like terrified to go to work. At the same time, I feel that's my obligation to help my community and be there because we are essential as veterinarians. And I would hate for someone's pet not to have care because I was afraid at home. But at the same time, I'm freaking out, like how people are not taking this seriously, how people are not wearing masks. And like, are you, do you have these feelings? Do, how are you managing with all of that? You know, I think, unfortunately, this this has sort of become more a, a political play rather than a medical pandemic. And that's what actually makes me really sad about this whole pandemic. This is, um, you know, this is a medical crisis. This is not mm-hmm. a political crisis. Mm-hmm. Sadly, develop this into political crisis, into a political situation. What I mean is if you, depending on which aisle of the political spectrum you lean on, you follow a certain news channel, you get a whole different take on what it is. Beat mm-hmm. the far left, beat the far right. And it saddens me because this is purely clinically, medically an issue, mm-hmm. right? So the information that should be generated across all channels should literally be the same. How you choose to interpret that, that's on you. Right. Yeah. You can call it. I don't believe it. You can call it a conspiracy. I mean, I've had patients get into arguments with me about saying, and I always tell, here's what I tell them. I said, you know, a week ago, I had to read my patient's love note to her husband when he died in the hospital bed by himself. I said, would you like me to tell that family that this was not a real thing? No, it is a real thing. And would you like me to tell my family that when I come home, I can't touch him and I... I had this whole ritual where I have to strip down all my clothes, put it in a bag, run up, put it in hot water and shower, take a bath before I can even touch my kids, my pets. And I said, do you think that is fun for me? No, it's not fun for me. Do you think I get, I, I worry about bringing home? I mean, I'm okay. I don't want to hurt Mm -hmm. my family because of the job that I have chosen. And that's what scares me the most is bring home something because until then we were in quarantine and now I broke it because I'm getting exposed. I mean, still I'm careful. I do all the precautions, but just like you, I need to get close to people. Um, like in order to collect blood from a pet, I need someone is to hold. I need to collect right. or vice versa. I need to examine the pet. Someone is to hold. And that person is face to face with me. And it must be the same for you because you need to get close to the patient. To Absolutely. And palpate and, the patient in whatever it is. It's just. And I think, I think I'm so saddened by how this has become a, a political spectacle rather than a medical issue, right? Mm-hmm. And we we lose so much of our time, resources, energy um, by arguing about how this impacts somebody politically as opposed to saying, okay, this is a medical pandemic. What are the facts? What are the risks? What is the exposure? What do we need to do? Uh, how do we educate patients about masks and how we educate mm-hmm. human beings about protecting one another? This This cannot be a time for people to be selfish. This is the sort of that pandemic where you almost have to worry about the other person as a human being rather than yes. more than, and yeah. if everybody valued everybody else with that much of respect, I think we'll all be okay. I think the problem is this, this has become a battle of, this is my right. I could choose yes. what to do. And, yeah. and yes, you can still choose to do what you want to do, but when your actions are impacting somebody else, then it becomes my problem. Yes. 
you know, yeah. that then it becomes an issue. Now, you can you can drink alcohol at home. You can smoke. Yeah. However, yeah. when you get out and you drive, then it becomes my problem. Correct. And yeah. the same thing with this pandemic. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to do anything. But when you're outside, and what I try to tell patients is, your mask doesn't protect, it protects others the, yeah. from you, yeah. not the other way around. So you don't even know you're sick because you can be an asymptomatic shutter. Mm-hmm. So just put a mask on. And not the mask with the filter. I don't. I object to that because that that is that is a very very. Oh, tell me about it. The masks that have the filter. That's a one way valve, which means mm-hmm. that the wearer is protected, but it doesn't protect anybody else. So if if say the wearer has COVID mm-hmm. and decides to break a quarantine and wears the mask, they are protected because the, the it's a one way valve. So. In other words, they're protected from the germs coming into them, but none of you are, me, is protected from anything coming from that patient outside, and it spreads the germs. So I. So when you say the filter, you're talking, just so the layperson, you're talking about the masks that have a built-in filter on them, like it has a little valve, versus people using... like the micron filters or the coffee filters, because that is a two-way thing. But you're talking about... So just people know it's like a usually white, but you can be any color. It's like a little valve. They can actually see it moving it's when you breathe. It's an open valve. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not referencing the plain N95 masks or the regular yeah. surgical masks or, yeah. or mm-hmm. the coffee filter masks or any of those. I'm referencing the masks that actually have a one-way filter, which yes. looks like a square box on the open yes. mouth part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a one-way valve, which means that it actually pr- pr- protects the wearer. Yeah. Right? Now, a mask is meant to not just protect the wearer. It's supposed to protect the other person from the wearer. And this does not do that. Yeah. So when they come into my office with that, I I ban that. I either have them wear an additional mask on top of that. Mm -hmm. And so and I don't even think patients understand it because I think when we went through this pandemic, everybody flipped out and went crazy and bought whatever mask they could think of to get. And I genuinely don't think they understand what that valve does. Mm-hmm. No, and they don't. I've had no. patients who come mm-hmm. into my office and actually got a little annoyed when I told them to put the extra mask on. Mm-hmm. And they didn't understand what it is till I actually explained it to them. And then once I told them what it does, and I said, that's great for you, but it's not great for me. Yeah. And, no, I, and the reason we know that because a lot of people <laughs> wear the mask with the valve and they leave the nose out. Oh, so you that's, clearly that's don't know. Of mine. That's like, you know, it's this joke going around in the medical community. It's like, it's like, it's like wearing your, uh, you know, it's like wearing underwear halfway when you wear a mask and take your nose off. It's silly. It's droplets. And I think it's, this is my point when I say it's become so political that people are misunderstanding or misconstruing what the mask actually does and the benefit of the mask. It spreads by little droplets which means, yeah, you maintain that six feet. However, the droplets come through the eyes, through the nose, through the mouth. So you have to cover them. Mm-hmm. It is simple. Put a mask on, a face covering. It doesn't matter. But the filtered masks, so many of my patients weren't even aware of it. Mm-hmm. I had to actually educate them on what it does. And I said, that's great that it protects you, but it's not protecting me. So if you're yeah. sick and you're coming from the community, yeah. coming to my have COVID, building yeah. Yeah. with sick patients, patients with cancer, you could potentially spread it. So I, I actually will have to wear an additional mask on top of the valve. So that then it becomes a two-way mask and I can, I can feel safe about it. 
And how do you deal with, um, to wrap it up, like I wanted to know, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, it is so conflicting for me and I'm, I'm losing animals, not humans. Um, of course, they are my patients. They are, they are very important, but I don't put humans and animals at the same level because they're not. Humans are, of course, my God, Leila, more important. animals are so much better. They are better, but they, I mean, I understand that the human race, of course, like yes. I, I would never put them in the equal thing, uh, even though I am a true believer that pets are a family because my pets are my family and yes. I'm a veterinarian and I, I know the human animal bond and how strong it can be. So I'm not saying anything against that, but we need to care for our kind first, Absolutely. human beings and all. And how do you deal with that? Because it destroys me. It, it does. Every day it destroys me. And I don't get immune to it. You know, I don't either. I don't want to be immune either. I I think, I feel like if I get to the point where I'm not going to get angry or sad when my patients die, I think I need to quit my job. I really do. That's I, a good point. I, I think right now, honestly, though, I think I'm just going through the motions mm-hmm. of helping patients because I think they need it more than I do. I don't have time to stop and think about my feelings. Yeah. I really don't. And I know that when this is over, we're all going to need some sort of grief counseling of some sort. I mean, I had an older patient that the problem with this pandemic is not only is it real, it's real for all those people that don't believe it to be true. Um, but it's sad because people die alone. And I don't think people, patient, yes. I don't think people understand how horrific that is when I see my older patients um, or my younger patients, whoever they are, in the hospital bed by themselves, being uh, surrounded. Of course, we give them the love, we give them the yeah. care, the nurses support them, but we're not their family. Yeah, we're not their loved ones. We're not their immediate family. And to watch the fam- to to actually, I I've had to read love notes and notes from patients' families to my patients. Oh my god! It is it destroys destroys me on more levels than I could comprehend. But then I have to stay strong. Because I I have to do this out of respect for the family. I have to do this out of respect for that mm-hmm. patient that looks so helpless in a hospital bed that is ready to die. It just is heartbreaking. It is real. Yeah. This is all very real. And the patient's families can't visit them because we don't let them visit yeah. them. And yeah. so we 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 don't we prefer no FaceTime because I think it is very traumatic to watch the feeding tube, the breathing tubes, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But we 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 bring an iPad in and we let them say goodbye. And it is destructive emotionally. It kills me. Oh, and it never gets me. old. It ne- So I tell all these, you know, sometimes, you know, we can't, none of us are perfect. I mean, mm-hmm. I do the best I can with, you know, making sure that my other patients don't get ignored from this pandemic because everybody deserves my attention the same way. But sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to get to the non-urgent stuff. And, you know, we've had patients that get really angry and really upset. And I always tell them, I said, please don't get upset and don't get angry. I'm human. I can only be in one place at one time. And sometimes I have to dedicate my attention a bit more to somebody else. But I will always get back to you. I mean, it, it, you know, we've never, that's why we did the video visits and audio visits, because I want my patients to know I'm there for them, too. But oh my God, you're so responsive. And sometimes I'm shocked on how quick you will respond to messages. I'm I like, have to. I oh, do. Oh, wow. I do because, you know, it's, through this whole pandemic, mental health has become an issue. 
with a lot of not just doctors, nurses, and frontline workers, but I think for patients because they feel a lot. Yeah, that, hap- that happened to me. That's yes. why I like, recently went, I was like, I need something to yes. calm and me patients, down because I'm having meltdown. They feel completely hopeless and they feel alone and they feel sad. And I want to reach out to them to say, you know what, I'm here, reach yeah. out. But I also tell my patients, I said, you know, you have to have a little patience right now that we can yeah. all get through this so we yeah. don't kind of, you know, we're not intentionally not, you know, I've had Ignoring, patients that irate yeah. that they didn't get their news, to, get their labs this morning. And I always tell them, rest assured, I scan all of the test results if they're normal. Yeah, no news is good news. Exactly. That's I tell why them, I tell you people, know, yeah. I know you don't know that, but I said, I scan all the reports and if they look normal, I... I, I address the sicker ones first and I come yeah. back to the non-urgent ones. And it's, it's just because if we don't have a system like that to prioritize, I I think we'll, we'll be completely chaotic. So that's yeah. just my way of coping with, you know, it's not easy, but we're doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, just today I looked and we have 50,000 cases of COVID in Los Angeles, 2,100 yeah. deaths. And today, today um, nine... 940 new cases, 14 new deaths. Just so scary. It is sad. It's a real, I hope, I hope everybody knows that, you know, this does, hasn't spared anybody. Yeah, there are certain risk factors for certain patients, but I genuinely think that if we all just took a little bit more responsibility, um, yeah. just a little bit more care to know that, mm-hmm. like, your individual actions will actually matter to the person next to you. And I don't want that on my conscience when I go there to know that maybe what I did was reckless enough that it hurt somebody. I could never live with that. So mm-hmm. I just tell this to all patients, just maintain. I know this is different. I know we won't normalize till we um, get a vaccine, which I know that to be true. But we can go on with our life. But as long as we all have some respect, I, I genuinely think it boils down to simple respect. Having common courtesy for everybody around you. It's mm-hmm. not about rules, not about boundaries, not about rights. And yes, everybody has a right to do whatever they want to do. But when your actions are impactful to people around you, then you have to give a little bit more care and thought into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, um, you know, you can sit in your backyard and, 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 and don't have to wear a mask because you're not impacting anybody. But when you go to the market, you may have somebody sick that walks and you may not know that. So... Your in- actions are impactful to the person behind you. So I just I just tell my patients, just think about that for one minute and just have yeah. some semblance of respect. And I think we'll all get through this. I think we'll be okay. Yes. I think so. Yes. And last question for you. What are you most proud of in your life? Looking back. You know, like what? I think my daughters. Oh, that's love. Totally. What totally. are their names? They are so so incredibly intelligent and resilient and and they just I mean to think that they endured some sort of discrimination when they were younger Mm -hmm. right even in their little minds in their five-year-old minds like I think it changed my daughter at age five for Mm -hmm. sure and then my younger daughter has gone through you know stuff like that of discrimination um either because she was too tall she was right and they are so resilient are they strong like you fierce they are oh, nice. so resilient and they are, they are, I think, kind human beings. And it makes me so proud. More than their awesome. crazy achievement with education, whatever else it may be, they are at heart incredibly good kids. So oh, I think awesome. to me, I'm most proud of them. Oh, what are their names? What? Nisha, Nikki? my older one. Oh, Nisha. Nikki mm-hmm. is my little one. Oh. Fantastic. I mean, I'm super proud of them. 
they have, That's they have awesome. they're little they're little minds. I mean, there are times when I want to just go and smack down some of their friends and just like, how can you be so rude to anybody? But you know what? I learn from them. I have a lot to learn from them. They are badass kids. So yeah, I'm most proud of them. I know. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great thing to be proud of. And a lot of that's you and your, in your example, because they do truly learn by example. That's the truth. A little that's bit. That's how, which is good and bad, right? Because we need to really watch exactly. how we do. <laughs> But I'm glad this worked out, Leila. I'm so, so glad. Much. I'm so glad. I know. But call me anytime. And yeah. Maybe um, when this is over, we can go get coffee. When yes, we, let's when... do. Well, I was going to say wine. But sure, we wine? can have coffee. <laughs> uh, I don't discriminate on a holiday. Like I said, <laughs> wine, coffee, whatever it is. Yes. Well, when this <laughs> pandemic, hopefully next month yes. or so, we'll reach out I know. and then we'll get together. Thank you. Thank Sounds you so much Leila. for being here. <laughs> it was we'll lovely to, to see you. Yeah, thank you guys, and I hope you have enjoyed the podcast. The honest mistake. Today, let's just agree there were no mistakes, no facts to be checked, just words of wisdom to be absorbed. Dr. Srinivasa was so generous sharing her experiences with us. To illustrate our conversation, I brought up some numbers and some data. It's me after all. So let's just write, jump right into it. I found an article written by Heather Cruikshank. Uh, it's dated on April 19, 2018. She brings numbers uh, from the Association of American Medi- uh, Medical College, or AAMC. Um, these numbers are from 2017. And it shows that in that year uh, was the first year that more women enrolled in the United States medical schools than men. So they reported that women uh, comprised 50.7% of the enrollees in 2017, which is compared to 49.8% in 2016. So this is showing that more women enrolled in um, medical school. However, uh, numbers from 2019 from the same association showed that among the active physicians, 64.1% are males. So in 2019, we still have more men um, as active physicians than women. Other numbers that same year brought is that 56.2% identify as white of the active physicians, 17.1% identify as Asian, 5.8% identify as Hispanic, and 5% identify as Black or African American. So again, we can have a little bit more clarity on the numbers. Just to compare, um, I know we talked about this in previous episodes, but in veterinary medicine, 39%, and here's just some numbers, 39% in 2018, 39% of the active veterinarians um, were millennials, and 61.7% were women. So, is when also showed that women outnumbered men. Unfortunately, veterinary medicine um, is considered a very white profession, and less than 3% of the veterinarians are African Americans, unfortunately. And actually, never historically, that number was higher than 3%. So back to our counter parts, the human doctors. So this data and this data point about women compared to men, it's particularly noteworthy when you put in a historical context. So 
in the same article, um, she brings up that in 1965, only about one in 10 U.S. medical schools enrollees was a woman. One in 10. 1965. A hundred years before that, few medical schools only admitted women at all. There's also a report in 2017, Doximity Physician Compensation Report, and they show nationally the gender gap, showing that female physicians on average earned 26.5% less than their male counterparts. In veterinary medicine, for example, uh, we already discussed these numbers. In recent research and recent reports, it shows that in veterinary medicine, women, they make 18% or earn 18% less than men. Back to our human doctors, um, the report also breaks down into specialties. And I found that very interesting because Dr. Srinivasa did discuss um, the gender bias in within the different specialties. So here um, they show that the largest gender wage gap were in vascular surgery, occupational medicine, pediatric endocrinology, gastroenterology, and pediatric rheumatology. And they show that women were also underrepresented as faculty and on leadership positions at the U.S. medical schools. And they also comprise 39% of full-time faculty and 32% of people promoted to full professors and 16% of departmental chairs in 2015. They were also show, women were also show to be less likely chosen as speakers in grant rounds, uh, which is a form of continuing education that helps doctors stay up to date on clinical care and in new research information. And other research also indicates that women do just as well as male doctors in terms of patient outcomes. And they also show that they communicate better with their patient. So despite the barriers that many women physicians face, the studies suggest that female doctors achieve patient outcomes. They are as good or sometimes better on average than those of their male, male peers. So in 2013, uh, researchers of the journal, in the Journal of American Board or of Family Medicine, they reported that patients of female physicians had comparable mortality rates to patients of male physicians. However, more recent research shows that on average, female doctors may even have a slight edge in some areas. So Yusuke Tuswaga and colleagues, they reported the results um, of a cross-sectional study on hospitalized Medic Medicare beneficiaries aged 65 years and older, and they found that patients treated by female doctors had slightly lower mortalities and readmission rates than patients treated by male doctors. Um, when Dr. Christopher, um, J.D., and colleagues, they compare positive outcomes in patients aged 18 years old and older in Canada. They also found similar results. Patients of female surgeons had slightly lower rates of 30-day mortality than patients of male surgeons. And in recent studies of, of physician mothers, they also show that two-thirds reported experiencing gender discrimination and one-third reported experiencing maternal discrimination on the job. This is a very 
series, two-thirds reporting experiencing gender discrimination. This is way more than half. And compared to men in academic medicine, women report facing higher levels of both gender bias and sexual harassment in the field. So this is, again, just mirroring what happens. Those are numbers, but those numbers mirror the reality. And in this report, they even interview um, a medical student, and she reports that she was kissed by a patient when she was a medical student. And again, went through many uh, circumstances of sexual harassment um, when patients made inappropriate comments towards her. It, this is just so sad. I, I don't even have words to, to, to comment on this. This is so sad. This does happen all the time. Um, as Dr. Srinivasa also shares some examples of that harassment and that disrespect that also happens in veterinary medicine with our clients. And I found interesting that they also comment on this study how sometimes um, in certain situations, patients will call women physicians honey, sweetie, rather than doctor. And it's exactly what we were talking about on the podcast today. And this shows how biased the profession can be and how disrespectful it can be. The report also shows some mitigation that can be done, some actions that can that be taken to mitigate those gender biases. For example, allowing physicians to work flexible hours and from home when they are not providing scheduled patient care. Um, again, might help uh, female clinicians to balance competing the obligations between work and personal life as um, working moms. They also discuss mandatory paid paternal leave as a way to alleviate some of the pressure on physicians who are parents and promote wider cultural changes in caregiving norms. I think this is huge. And I hope this gets extended if it happens. And let's say when it happens, it gets extended to veterinary medicine as well. I think that's the only way we're going to face any type of equality is when everybody needs to experience the same situations or at least be empathetic to it and understanding and aware of it. Um, They're also talking about establishing clear hiring guidelines, promotion guidelines, and salary transparency, which could all help address the disparities in hiring, promotion, and pay. Again, this, I hope it happens and I hope it bleeds into veterinary medicine as well. Unless they talk about training women on the skills needed to effectively negotiate higher salaries also in a way to help address this persistent gender gaps. Can I, I hope this happens to us as well, and I hope this happens to doctors and through all professions in general, not just medicine, not just veterinary or human medicine. Um, and last thing, um, she, Dr. Srinivasa mentioned some of the specialties that are considered to be more, and I'm quoting, <laughs> women-like. And they brought up some um, numbers among specialties. So um, among those are the ones that are more female-dominated. So obstetrics and gynecology, allergy and immunology, pediatrics, medical genetics and genomics, hospice and palliative medicine, and dermatology. Those are all the information I had for you guys. I really hope you have enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you all find love in your hearts and empathy and kindness and 
that we can look at one another and try to understand one another and try to put ourselves in one another's shoes and really try to understand the privileges that we have and how we can use those privileges to help other people and to protect other people and to educate our counterparts and our peers on those matters. I really hope this podcast finds you safe and I hope and I send my love to all the families suffering. I do not know what you go through. I really don't. But I wish you so much love in these times of pain and we all stand with you. So I hope all of you have a good week and with that, I'll leave you to waiting for the next episode and last episode of our season. It's going to be our 12th episode where I bring a very special guest. It's my grandmother, and I am sure she, she will be so wise, and all of you are going to fall in love with her. So have a good week, and I will see you in the next podcast. Bye.